welcome to Immigration Review, your weekly source for immigration case law updates and insights. I'm your host, Kevin A. Gregg, back again to review the week's presidential immigration cases, rummaging through the decisions so you don't have to. This podcast is sponsored by Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, also known as KKTP, a law firm where I'm also a partner. Whether you are facing an immigration obstacle, a serious injury, or a legal issue in your business, KKTP will aggressively protect your best interests. This podcast is also sponsored by DocketWise, an all-in-one immigration forms and case management solution trusted by thousands of immigration lawyers across the U.S. I really like DocketWise. It makes immigration applications easy by allowing the clients to provide information through simple online questionnaires that are shareable by text or email and available in multiple languages. Not only that, DocketWise provides a comprehensive group of case management features, including invoicing and calendaring, secure messaging, task management, and a lot more. You can learn all about DocketWise and receive a 10% discount on your subscription by heading to docketwise.com immigration review so they know we sent you. And as always, this show does not constitute legal advice and has no bias other than to keep you up to date and to enable you, my dear colleagues, to excel in court. So, without further ado, let's start the review. More immigration news this week. Ninth Circuit Judge Bress, joined by Judge Miller, vacated the injunction in the Freyhat class action. The case that, to summarize very briefly, regards COVID-19, conditions in ICE detention facilities, and mandatory review by ICE of detainees' release eligibility. Judge Burzon dissented. Worth remembering, though, that even without an injunction, the Biden administration, of course, has full authority to implement detention guidelines that account for COVID-19's risks. Also, EOAR has apparently ended the yearly 700-case completion requirement imposed on immigration judges by then-Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Congratulations, EOAR, and IJs everywhere. Only two cases this week. I feel like the circuits are fattening me up for something big. Let the record reflect that I remain suspicious. But I'm not mad about it this week, and you shouldn't be either. First up is Chavez Gonzalez v. Garland, published by the Fourth Circuit on October 20th, 2021. Matter of SOG and FDB is dead in the Fourth Circuit, a case I will refer to throughout as matter of SOG, because I enjoy doing so. Here's what's up. Mr. Chavez Gonzalez was brought to the United States from Mexico at three years old, apparently without authorization, and eventually received DACA. USCIS, however, terminated his DACA status following a misdemeanor conviction for possession of drug paraphernalia and initiated removal proceedings. But during those proceedings, USCIS reissued Mr. Chavez-Gonzalez DACA status due to a class-action lawsuit that, essentially, precluded DHS from automatically terminating DACA without providing recipients notice and an opportunity to respond. Apparently that happened to Mr. Chavez-Gonzalez, and so he received his DACA back. With Mr. Chavez-Gonzalez's removal now officially deferred, and in no way imminent or even possible, actually, Mr. Chavez-Gonzalez sought to have his removal proceedings administratively closed or terminated. 
The immigration judge, however, denied and ordered Mr. Chavez-Gonzalez removed. After all, the IJ reasoned, individuals can receive DACA and keep their DACA even if they're ordered removed. During appeal to the BIA, then-Attorney General Sessions began his campaign against immigration judge authority with matter of Castro-Tum, and then four months later, matter of SOG, holding that actually, IJs don't even have the authority to administratively close or terminate proceedings at all. So the BIA affirmed the IJ. Now, the Fourth Circuit was one of the first circuits to hold that matter of Castro-Tum was wrong, even before Attorney General Garland vacated it and resurrected administrative closure in matter of Cruz Valdez this past summer. But that still technically left matter of SOG and the termination issue. Do IJs have the, quote, general authority, end quote, to terminate proceedings, other than in the limited set of circumstances outlined by Attorney General Sessions, such as when removability cannot be established? Are IJs mere robots, forever tethered to the whims and wishes of DHS? They are not, said the Fourth Circuit. And in so holding, the court refused to give matter of SOG r kaiser deference. That is because the Fourth Circuit held that actually the regulations are not ambiguous on the issue at all, which means that Attorney General Sessions had no right to explain away, even reasonably, any ambiguity in matter of SOG. There's nothing to explain away. For example, the regulations permit IJs and the BIA to, quote, take any action consistent with their authorities under the Act and the regulations as is appropriate and necessary for the disposition of the case, end quote. That's pretty broad authority. More fundamentally, Matter of SOG relied in large part on Attorney General Sessions' rationale in Matter of Castro-Tum, but the Fourth Circuit already rejected that rationale in Romero v. Barr, so the government is in trouble defending as the Biden administration chose to do, Attorney General Sessions' decision in matter of SOG here. And as the Fourth Circuit reasoned in Romero, quote, the plain meaning given to the word any in other cases is given a broad interpretation, end quote. So too with the regulations analyzed here, and so too with termination. The court believes that this helps rather than hurts the efficiency of removal proceedings because, quote, indeed, termination actually ends a proceeding, end quote. Emphasis in the original. The Fourth Circuit therefore abrogated, rather than merely declined to defer, to matter of SOG, which I guess it could do because SOG arose in the Fourth Circuit. Well done, counsel. If so, an argument exists that matter of SOG is not good law anywhere anymore. The Fourth Circuit remanded for consideration of termination and administrative closure and non-LPR cancellation, too, as Mr. Chavez-Gonzalez appears newly eligible based on his mother's adjustment to LPR status. Congratulations, friend of the podcast and friend of the procrastinating attorney who is in need of same-day BIA delivery service, Ben Winograd, for petitioner. A bit more. After finding the regulations unambiguous, the Fourth Circuit went on to explain why, even if the regulations were ambiguous, matter of SOG is not owed deference. And in doing so, the Fourth Circuit appears as confused as me regarding why Oil was in court advocating for deference to Attorney General Sessions' decision at all. Quote, Looking to the character and context of the government's litigating position, in stark contrast to its recent regulatory position explained below, we are quite frankly puzzled that the government currently stands in support of Attorney General Sessions' decision in matter of SOG 
particularly in light of the fact that Matter of Sog relies heavily on Matter of Castro Tum, which is no longer good law. End quote. Attorney General Garland himself lamented Matter of Castro Tum's abrogation of quote, long standing practice, end quote, and recognized the quote, inherent authority, end quote, of IJs in Matter of Cruz Valdez. You heard it here first. Matter of SOG is either dead or seriously on the ropes everywhere, even if Attorney General Garland doesn't just now simply vacate it. One more thing. Strong argument that at a minimum, administrative closure is required in all deferred action pseudo-status instances, such as DACA and TPS. Referring to and quoting Reno v. American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, quote, The Supreme Court has even cited approvingly a treatise, stating that when an immigrant is granted deferred action, and now quoting the Supreme Court, no action will thereafter be taken to proceed against him, even on grounds normally regarded as aggravated. Now back to the Fourth Circuit. Therefore, colorable arguments can be made that administrative closure is appropriate and necessary. End quote. Brave new slash old slash new again world that we have here with administrative closure and termination. And that is Chavez Gonzalez v. Garland. Next and finally, we have Lopez Troch v. Garland, published by the First Circuit on October 18th, 2021. This decision is about credibility. Mr. Lopez Troch is from Honduras and entered the United States in 1988. He was removed in 1992 and he re-entered unlawfully shortly thereafter. He's lived in the U.S. now for about 30 years. When ICE picked him up in 2013, they reinstated the 1992 removal order, and Mr. Lopez Troche requested a reasonable fear interview where he testified that he was gay, had sometimes performed in clubs in Honduras as a woman, was living with HIV, and that he's been harassed, raped, and beaten in Honduras for that reason in the past, including a, quote, attempted stoning, end quote. Furthermore, Mr. Lopez Troche stated that his ex-partner in Honduras had passed away from AIDS that the man's family blamed Mr. Lopez Troche and had threatened to kill him, and that he suspected the family of having murdered his own brother. The asylum officer's notes reflect that Mr. Lopez Troche said that he had gone to the authorities, quote, a few times, end quote, before he fled Honduras, but that the authorities, quote, don't protect the homosexual community, end quote. Mr. Lopez Troche was referred for withholding only proceedings before an immigration judge. He submitted a bunch of country condition evidence and documents supporting his claim, but the IJ denied, finding Mr. Lopez Troche not credible, in part due to perceived inconsistencies between his in-court testimony and the asylum officer's notes of what he said at the time. In the alternative, the IJ faulted Mr. Lopez Troche for failing to ever report the incidents to police. The IJ held that Mr. Lopez Troche had further failed to establish a pattern or practice of persecution against like individuals, and that he had not shown that the Honduran government would acquiesce, consent, or be willfully blind to the torture he allegedly feared, as the Convention Against Torture requires. So lots of denials there. The BIA affirmed, but the First Circuit did not, mainly because of flaws in the credibility finding. The First Circuit will uphold an adverse credibility finding, quote, only if, end quote, all three of these things are true. One, the discrepancies and omissions are actually present in the record. Makes sense. 
Two, those discrepancies and omissions provide specific and cognate reasons to conclude that the testimony was incredible, quote, with regard to facts central to the merits of his asylum claim, end quote. And three, the non-citizen has failed to provide a convincing explanation for the discrepancies and omissions. So all three of those things must be met. If not, an adverse credibility finding gets overturned in the First Circuit. The IJ and BIA's decision didn't meet that test here because, quite frankly, the IJ and the BIA misread the record. Mr. Lopez Troche told the asylum officer that he had sought the assistance of the authorities in Honduras, and he didn't testify otherwise at his individual hearing. Rather, it appears based on the transcript portions provided in this First Circuit decision, Mr. Lopez Troche was asked whether he reported two of the many incidents of past persecution that he alleged, and he answered no. But that doesn't necessarily mean that he didn't report other harms to the authorities, as he said he did, quote, a few times, end quote, at his reasonable fear interview. Really, it just means that Mr. Lopez Troche was asked narrow questions at his individual hearing. The IJ therefore erred in extrapolating Mr. Lopez Troche's answers to the limited questions asked to all incidents of past persecution and the IJ further erred by then believing that Mr. Lopez Troche's answers made him not credible vis-a-vis his reasonable fear interview. Also, it appears that the IJ believed Mr. Lopez Troche inconsistent based on something his attorney said in closing, and that's obviously not an inconsistency because Mr. Lopez Troche never said it. His attorney did. The First Circuit therefore vacated the adverse credibility finding. Because that finding completely tainted the past persecution finding, the First Circuit held that the IJ erred further in its analysis regarding future persecution because, of course, if Mr. Lopez Troche established past persecution, he enjoys a presumption that he'll be persecuted in the future. As to the Convention Against Torture finding, which, unlike asylum and withholding of removal, doesn't provide a non-citizen with a presumption of future torture, even if he's been tortured in the past, the flawed credibility finding still infected that too especially because the finding all related to whether the Honduran government was involved or willfully blind to the harm Mr. Lopez Troche suffered and feared. So the whole decision's out, and Mr. Lopez Troche will likely get a new hearing. Congratulations Elena Norandine and Irene C. Friedel of the Pear Project for the win. Pretty fact-specific, as adverse credibility usually is, although I like that three-pronged standard in the first. And that's all she wrote. Enjoy your day, everyone. And that is Lopez Troche v. Garland. So there you have it. You're all caught up with the past week's published immigration cases. I'm Kevin A. Gregg, a partner with the law firm Kurzban, Kurzban, Tetzeli, and Pratt, and this has been another episode of Immigration Review. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it with a friend and rate and review us. Each review helps new listeners find the show. And of course, subscribe to Immigration Review wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what we do and want to become a patron of the show, please check out our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash immigration review or click on the link in the show notes. And if you're interested in an official Immigration Review CLE certificate for five credit hours, email me at kgreg at kktplaw.com with your full name and the episode numbers for the 10 shows you've listened to. Also, 
feel free to email me with questions, comments, or anything at all. And follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at Immigration Review. And send us a tweet at ImReview. That's I-M-M Review. I'll be back next Monday for a brand new discussion. Until then, I'm Kevin A. Gregg, bringing you the Immigration Review. Thank you.